Welcome, one and all, to episode 47 of Project Geekology. Coming to you live from the snowy peaks of the Triple Horn Mountain Range overlooking the serene towers of the Royal Palace of Aldera. That's right, we're on Alderaan, where nothing bad ever happens. Well, not yet anyway. We're in 9 BBY, approximately 9 years before Alderaan uh, receives its fiery fate at the hands of the Death Star and Tarkin. But today we're here to talk uh, more happy thoughts, specifically about Obi-Wan Kenobi. I'm one of your hosts, Dakota, and I'm joined as always with... Anthony. And yeah, so we're going to be talking all about Obi-Wan Kenobi. We're uh, very excited. It's a series that we've been looking forward to for a long time. And I don't know about you, Anthony. I have mixed uh, opinions about uh, the series as a whole, but there's a lot I liked, but there's some things I didn't like. We're going to get into all that. We're going to dig into it. And uh, but before we do any of that, Anthony, what have you been up to since we talked last? Well, as Dakota knows, the last episode that we released, this Stranger Things episode, was actually edited by me. Usually, Dakota does the producing side of the show. He does a lot of the editing. I help with a lot of the back-end stuff, but I decided to help. It was definitely eye-opening, and it was a fun experience, and I learned a lot from it, and I learned a lot about the way that I speak from it. Yeah, it's it's interesting what we learn when we have to like be critical about, you know, editing ourselves because it's we get like super self-conscious about like random things, but you know what? It's part of the process, it's part of the learning process, and it actually probably helps us in our speech patterns later on. Um, the more you do it, the more you edit down like stuff that you dislike about my speech or your speech or whatever, or you know, in my case, Jen's speech or you know, editing footage from films into your into your stuff. The more you start doing that, the more you realize like what you do and don't like to listen to or to hear verbally. And it's just a learning curve, you know? And to be honest, uh, I, I did go over everything that you edited for the last episode and it's super solid. I did a little touching up after that and I really didn't have to do all that much. I just let it play for the most part. So that was awesome. You did a great job. I appreciate that. I like being able to help out in any way that I can. And I am half of the show just as you are and I think that's a, a good idea to share that kind of load. It is it is a big responsibility. We hope to be able to knock out more episodes for you guys. So editing was a great time and I learned a lot from it. Other than that, I've been playing video games. I've been playing the Overwatch 2 beta, which actually dropped on June, I think it was June 26th or June 28th, whatever day that week um, so it's was been on, about a on week. Tuesday. Whatever uh, that Tuesday was. So it was last Tuesday. Yes. So I've been playing okay. that for a little bit. Uh, being able to check out the new hero. They came out with one called Junker Queen, which is she's from. Yeah. So characters, they have like their own little like groups and places that they're from. Junkertown is Roadhog, Junkrat, Wrecking Ball, and Junker Queen leads that area. Interesting. Okay, so I don't want to get like too much on like a Overwatch tangent because we, we do have a full episode on Overwatch, but I want to ask, what is the big difference between Overwatch 1 and Overwatch 2? Is this a sizable addition to the series or is it just... Because, you know, like every now and then Overwatch would create just like a patch and it would there would be new maps, there would be new characters. What is the big difference between this version of Overwatch? So I would say that Overwatch 2, the changes aren't big enough for me to call it a second game. I would say it's mm. more of an expansion, uh, quote unquote. Okay. 
But um, I would say that the sizable differences are they've knocked out one tank from each team. So there's less people. There's two less people on the field now. It's 5v5 and they've changed some of the game modes. They got rid of uh, two capture point maps in favor of this one called push. And it's literally what it is. There's a robot that's pushing this thing back and forth and you kind of have to take control and push it to the goal. And that's cool. Overwatch 2, the PVP stuff is actually going to be free to play. So they're adding like battle passes and stuff to it. Um, so they're giving it kind of like a free to play treatment. But when the actual campaign stuff comes out, I'm saying that that's going to be an actual cost. I don't think that it should be any more than $40, but I wouldn't put it past them for charging $60. Yeah, because I mean, to them, it isn't a, it's, it's not an expansion you know they're treating it like a normal game right which right? is kind of weird for blizzard you know yeah but which i believe is the activision side of blizzard that's doing that so right now yeah so you said that there was a campaign mode yes that's not coming out yet that i think is coming out sometime next year oh yeah See, that's a little disappointing i feel like i wouldn't be paying for the full game you know if i bought it immediately yeah well that that's why it's going to be free to play the the pvp stuff's going to be free to play you're not going to be paying okay. until the actual campaign stuff st comes out which like i said shouldn't be costing that much because unless it's like super like crazy over the top which i'm not really expecting it to be i'm expecting it to be fun and a cool addition to the lore but i'm not expecting it to be something worth 60 dollars what's what's great about overwatch um and I, i'm sure we talked about this ad nauseum in our overwatch episode but the lore is super deep yeah and it's super enthralling uh i don't know actually i don't know if that the lore is deep but everything in the lore is fascinating you know it's every character has their story and that's something that I really appreciate. And when we got, there were certain like campaign missions with uh, within Overwatch. Like there was that uprising event right. where they dived into a period of the Overwatch history. That was awesome. I wanted more of that. That was like, I, I want to know more about the story. And I think that's like the biggest part for me with Overwatch is I need to know that story. So actually knowing that there's going to be a campaign is what's enticing me and probably going to get me into Overwatch 2 personally. But that's exciting. Um, you've been playing anything else or... I've been playing that and I've actually taken a dive back into World of Warcraft. I've been playing a lot more of the Burning Crusade Classic. I know that your time is limited, but I think it would be cool for you to jump back in it, especially because I think you and I are going to cover World of Warcraft, but I don't think we should cover it as a whole. I think we, we should probably cover it up until a certain point. And that point would be where you and I were playing more actively. Okay. Yeah. I, I would love to cover World of Warcraft at some point. You know, there was a, a large portion of our youth where we were just stuck in that game. Um, right. That <laughs> I was, It was a good time. The I, there's a lot of wasted days in World of Warcraft, but I have very good memories. And then before that, you and I would, we had our own little side shop in RuneScape. RuneScape. <laughs> oh, gosh. oh, the good old days. We had our, our little side hustle in RuneScape. Getting all the gold. I don't even remember. Yeah. But yeah, no, that was fun. So yeah, I, I did a lot of gaming and I do have an upcoming episode that I would like to do. And I would like to, at some point, cover The Matrix the movie yes okay i'm so down it's it's one of my favorite movies let's do it why are we covering obi-wan kenobi let's let's jump into the matrix right now right <laughs> <laughs> no nah, i'm kidding uh let's do it yeah i'm, I'm totally done 
So aside from playing video games and watching some stuff here and there, there hasn't been much going on. I do have a convention coming up this weekend as of recording. It's definitely going to have passed by the time this episode is released. But mm-hmm. the next episode that comes out, we are going to be discussing a bit about that convention. and Which I'm excited yes, about. Yes, yes. It's going to be a good time. We're going to have a, a little bit of a segment on there because I am going as press and... Yeah, it's going to be a great press time. Press for Project Ecology. That's that's huge. It's our first uh, official press thing for this particular outlet. So that's awesome. And we couldn't have done it without the listeners. Yes. You listeners. Thank you so much. <laughs> I don't thank know. you so much for, for helping us make it. So yeah, there's nothing going on aside from that. How about you, Dakota? I've been, I feel like I've been talking so much. So yeah, tell us what's been going on with you. You know what? It's it's usually you that forgets what you did in the past week or so. <laughs> Not right. Me. So I'm trying I'm trying to remember what I did. I know I've okay. So I've I've listened to a lot of audiobooks recently. Um, oh, actually, yeah, I got a lot to talk about. All right. So this <laughs> past weekend, yeah, no, no, this past weekend, I went on like a crazy reading spree because I've been so busy like working on different projects, whether it's project ecology or something else like on geek critique i've gotten i have like two new videos up on geek critique that are doing pretty well so i'm happy about that but i haven't had time to read my weekly comics that i get and you know like i I try to go every wednesday it's new comic book day at my comic book shop i grab what's new that interests me you know on, on slow weeks there's like three to five issues on heavy weeks there's like seven to nine but in the past like month and change i just haven't had time to like really devote time to sitting down and like catching up on everything so i had a list i had like a, a stack of like 35 comics that i had to get through oh my gosh this past weekend i like just i told jen uh saturday uh <laughs> she woke up and i'm like sitting on the couch like hey i'm gonna be reading today you can join me if you'd like <laughs> it was a formal invitation anyway i i blitzed through like 21 comics out of that 35 uh stack that i had and man i had a good time so many adventures so many um it's so fun like learning about what your favorite heroes are up to currently and stuff uh so that's been pretty cool so i i got a lot of uh reading done there but what i want to talk about specifically is a new book uh, a new star wars novel by adam christopher called shadow of the sith it came out last week i'm about halfway through and dude it is essential star wars a lot of the canon novels they talk about side characters they talk about you know characters who i, I don't know there's there's a lot of like canon novels that just kind of like create new characters or uh go to side characters but there's not a lot in the current canon that deal with actual like jedi stuff you know so this is actually i think the first novel that's post return of the jedi that deals exclusively with like luke skywalker and what he's been doing after the original trilogy so it's it takes place in like uh like 20 years after that and it's so good it it bridges the gap between the original trilogy and the sequel trilogy it answers questions about like Rey's parentage. It answers questions about like Exegol and like Palpatine's real plan and like how how far back that was like being worked on and oh, stuff. Wow. Yeah, no, it gets really heavy and like Luke actually learns a lot about like what happens in this book and Lando's also in it, so it's Luke and Lando uh, adventure. Oh, nice. With a little bit of uh, Ray's family mixed in, so it's it's a solid read. I'm I'm only halfway through it. It's it's currently in my top three canon Star Wars novels ever, and I've read like I don't know forty or fifty of them at this point. So it's really good. Uh, I highly recommend it. Eventually, I'd like to do one of this book, kind of like how we did with Light of the Jedi, like a year ago or so. Do you think that it fixes? 
some problems that the sequel trilogy has. I think that's the ultimate goal of it. Mm. You know, there there's certain plot holes, there's certain like contrivances within the sequel trilogy that have to be overlooked, but now they don't have to be overlooked because they can be addressed directly. Mm. You know, there's a lot of um, little details in this that bridge that gap really well. And speaking about bridging gaps, that's a good segue into our topic for today, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yeah. You know, it's Obi-Wan Kenobi is such a perfect bridge between the prequel trilogy and the original trilogy. And it's not, I'm not saying it's a perfect show, but there's a lot in it that is like essential to understanding the character of Obi-Wan and Leia and all this. So, yeah, I would I would say, you know, it's kind of essential Star Wars at this point. So, yeah, going from Shadow of the Sith to Obi-Wan Kenobi, both are bridges per se, but they both open up new doors and everything. So, I'm excited about that. Yes, I agree. While Obi-Wan is not a perfect show, I do believe that it does a lot to bridge the prequels and the original trilogy. And there is a lot to like about it. I know that there's a lot of complaints about the show, but I'm going to be honest, I had fun with it. Overall, I loved it. I liked it more than... I feel like the flaws didn't take me out of the show as much as it did some other people. Alright, so let's let's dive into it then. Uh, overall, like, going into it, where would you rate it on a scale of 1 to 10? So it's a little hard because I enjoy Ewan as Obi-Wan. I think that he just honors... I think he honors what Alec Guinness did. And his he just... He he fits into the shoes of that role just so well back in Revenge of the Sith. In this show, it seemed like he, did, he didn't really miss a beat. And it, you could see that the character grew and he did really well with, you know, he hadn't been in that character for what? 20 years. Exactly. Or almost. You know, 15, 20 years, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I would actually agree, uh, you know, the performance that Ewan uh, provided was uh, incredible. The fact that he was able to distill his own version of Obi-Wan from the prequels and mix it with Alec Guinness's final form of Obi-Wan Kenobi in the original trilogy, I think he did a phenomenal job. Because it isn't exactly the same character as it was in the prequel trilogy. There's something broken yes. with that character there's something lost from the the prequel trilogy obi-wan kenobi and now we're starting to meet ben we're starting to meet ewan mcgregor's ben and i think that that's a really fascinating just a an acting role in general because not only are we seeing a character go back to a character from um, 15 20 years ago we're seeing an actor also mix that with the original performance of the character like you said with alec guinness so i think he does a really good job I agree. I think none of the problems that I have with the entire show, nothing can be leveled at that performance or the character of uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. I think they nailed pretty much everything with that character. You know, I think that they there was a, a level of respect given to both the actor and the character uh, and a, a really well-defined limitation of what they can and can't do so that it doesn't like overstep what happens in the original trilogy. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. I agree. So, that being said, you still haven't given me a 1 out of 10. Oh, right. We we did that whole explanation. Like I said, it's it's hard, and I don't want to be biased. So, I would say that my unbiased score would be like a 7.5. And my, bi my bias score would probably be like an 8.5, 8.75. Okay. Hey, that's, that's solid. And on my second... 
well, some of the episodes I've watched three times now, but I just today spent a good portion of my day watching the entire thing again. So a lot of it was my second viewing. Um, and I will say that for a second viewing, there were some episodes that felt weaker, but there were some episodes that felt stronger. So it's hard for me to say fully at this point, but I would agree at least with the 7.5 uh, score um, because when it's high, it's really good. But when it's low, it loses me a little bit. So um, I would go, I would range from like 6 to 7.5. That's uh, 7.58 would be like my biased viewpoint my that's the star wars nerd in me um, <laughs> my the the geek critique in me is uh is leaning towards you know like a six if i'm being honest with myself but i don't think it's as bad as uh the book of boba fett i think the book of boba fett had really low lows uh that show probably in retrospect i would rate around the five uh you know five to six range you know but anyway right right well, yeah, in the the episode that we we had on it, its biggest problem was identity, and I don't think that Obi Wan really suffered from that because we knew what right. the show was about, and the show stuck to that. Yeah, yeah. So as we discuss Obi Wan, um, I think we'll go somewhat chronologically. We might jump around a little bit as we do, you know, in conversation. But I think we're going to stick to a spoiler heavy discussion just because. You know, we can talk about the the greater things, but ultimately we're going to want to talk about uh, the smaller things in detail. So I think, are you okay with that, Anthony? We're, we're just going to jump into spoiler territory from here? Right. I think that for the most part, we've talked about the gist of the show. And I think that people, oh, this show is pretty big. I would say just for a short non-spoiler thing. Yeah, so Obi-Wan is 10 years after Revenge of the Sith, and it pretty much shows him in the state that he's in which is a broken state and he learns of pretty much he, he kind of regains his strength and we see that transition from revenge of the sith to a bit more of ben kenobi of a new hope right yeah and one thing you mentioned was that he kind of regains his strength or he relearns what he knew and that's that's a byproduct of him not using his force abilities for good reason for at least you know one would assume the time that he first brought luke to owen and brew lars you know yeah you would you would expect that that's when he cut himself off from the force pretty much and you know stayed in hiding not only to protect himself, uh, but also to protect the boy that he was overlooking. So uh, with that, we start the story with Obi-Wan, or, or rather Ben, not using his Force abilities at all. He doesn't currently have a lightsaber. He's not hes not Obi-Wan Kenobi anymore. He's Ben. You know, hes he's changed his personality into a... A crazy old hermit who lives in a cave. Yeah, he's a caveman. He is a caveman. I do like that he has, like, you know, his little job that, like, keeps him afloat. You know, he's, like, carving right. out meat from, I don't know, a crate dragon, maybe? I, I don't know what that thing is, but it's a big carcass. Um, right, and... right. He has, like, a nine-to-five that, that he works, and he gets his money, and he takes a little bit of meat to... His uh, EOP. Yeah. Uh, which I, I, I find his his relationship with um, his pet steed quite endearing. But, uh, you know, I, I think Obi-Wan's just a kind person in general, so no matter what or, like, who he's dealing with, he's always going to be kind. But, uh, yeah, so going into the first episode, like I said, he's, he's not Obi-Wan Kenobi anymore. He's not the Obi-Wan you know. And part of the story um, has already happened. 
part of the story or you, you're kind of like forced to understand that it's not going to tell you why he's not obi-wan kenobi anymore obviously you know that the inquisitors are out to get him you know people who are literal jedi hunters who are trying to finish the purge that started 10 years ago but uh, i like uh, a lot of people had a, a an issue with the fact that there were like you know every couple months star wars whether it's in like the comics or the games or now the shows they're revealing that more and more Jedi have survived the Purge. But to me, it only makes sense, you know? I, in the prequels, we learn that there's about 10,000 Jedi, you know, spread across the galaxy. It's not likely that all 10,000 or like 99% of them were killed immediately, you know? Right. I'm pretty sure that there, yeah, that there are some that were out and about. They didn't have clone units. I don't believe that all of them have clone units. No, it was only the generals, really. And you see... And, and you actually learn a lot more, especially when you get to Light of the Republic, that there was they were kind of all over the place. There was yeah. there's planets that aren't talked about in the prequels or even these shows that there could be Jedi at outposts that there's no clones at because there's not much going on over there. And this show actually does a really good job of introducing us to the underbelly of you know Jedi on the run you know as a whole. Uh, we're going to talk about that when we get to episode three. So yeah, so yeah, we're we're going to talk more about like the the Jedi that we don't see and some even some Jedi that we do see, but. Let's jump back a little bit. So we we jump away from Tatooine, you know, after uh, we, we see Obi-Wan overlooking Luke and Owen and all that. Uh, and we jump away and we, we find that there's that lovely, like, little scene with a young Leia, you know, tricking her parents to run off into the forest. And uh, I love that actress, the, the little actress that they chose for uh, a young Leia. I know, I thought she did really good. And I'm re-watching it today and I'm like, I, I kept looking over to Jen, I'm like, Yo, she did really good, you know? Like, there's a scene in episode four in Fortress Inquisitorious where she's being interrogated and it's super solid acting, you know? Like, she's playing both sides. She's playing for her character, she's playing against Reva, and she's she's trying to trick her. And in so doing, she's tricking the camera a little bit. And it's she's actually a really decent actress for such a young, you know, right? such a young girl. Yeah, yeah, I think she, she did a great job in playing a young Leia. And it, she feels natural. You she know, does. It feels like a natural... Right, um, right. I was like, yo, this is... This is Leia. This is little Carrie Fisher. <laughs> it's so good. Uh, yeah, so let's let's jump ahead a little bit. She gets kidnapped by Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And... <laughs> Dude, I died. I was like, I said, <laughs> no way. <laughs> yeah, she gets kidnapped by Flea. That's... Okay, here's here's like my first kind of gripe. There's a, lot, there's a couple times in the show where Leia is on the run. And this is nothing against the actress. She's she's a very small person, but she's not very fast. The fact that she's able to run away for so long and get away from these individuals uh, who are trying to chase her is insane. Like right, and the, the way camera... that she's like tricking them and and jumping over these things and they're getting tricked i'm like you know what that scene needed is more like cuts to like people like tripping or you know just like leaves like in the way of the camera or something so that it's like more believable but there's a lot of like you know just still shots of like her running and then like people just like randomly falling into like <laughs> just running into branches that are right there you tripping know like <laughs> over like branches and slipping yeah no it was so, funny it was like you had enough time to avoid that like how did you not see that there's a level of um 
<laughs> I don't know what it is in that scene, but it happens a couple times throughout the season. Like jumping ahead to the second episode when she's running away from Obi-Wan in Dayu, there's absolutely zero chance she would get away from him and go that far where she's like jumping across buildings. Cause she was literally like within arm's reach and then the next scene, like Obi-Wan's nowhere to be seen and she's climbing a ladder up to the rooftops and jumping over roofs and it's just like, how? How did she do this? How can she, she can't keep getting away with this. <laughs> so there's a certain level of like spatial awareness within the camera. I, I think it's a directing issue. And I think this is part of the reason I was taken out a couple times throughout the film. So I'm just going to say this now so that I don't like harp on this for the entire thing. I got to get it out of my system. There's certain things that are like necessary for every story and the awareness of space, you know, the space around you, the space within the camera lens, everything within, you know, like everything that involves spatial awareness, it's, it needs to be present and like showcased on screen or else we're not going to believe it. And that's uh, the problem that I see with uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. It happens a lot where there's like certain scenes where, you know, a character is being chased and then a lot of time passes and then the person chasing them doesn't catch up or it's just it's weird you know and it's just like most of this would be cut out of a movie and that's ultimately what obi-wan kenobi is it's a long movie you know that's like spread across six parts yes yes it's almost like yeah it's like one long serial which yeah, isn't it's always like a one, bad yeah thing. right right it's one long storyline it's not it's not how the mandalorian is presented you know right mandalorian each episode is episodic you know each right, episode is right. a story in and of itself except for With, like the two uh, parters that they would have or the three parters right right yeah what's interesting is that like i've never felt this issue specifically with a Star Wars project before. Whether it's w with any of the shows like Mandalorian or Book of Boba Fett. You know, there, there are some issues with Book of Boba Fett. Like, I'm not even going to get into that. But there, <laughs> I, I never feel like that there's like a, a missing cognizance of like spatial awareness. And that, that is my biggest issue with the show because it takes me out, you know? Every time I see it, every time that there's like some jump in logic that I'm supposed to like understand, it gets to me, you know? Like there's a scene where uh, there's a barricade in episode three that they have to get around. And you know, the camera is literally facing like both corners of this barricade on that planet Mapuzo, that it's like an Imperial barricade that they can't get, get across via vehicle. But honestly, they could just go around it. We see the edges of it. They could just walk around it. They don't have yeah. to shoot it to get through. Um, again, yeah, in episode, yeah. again, in episode three, there's the fight uh, with uh, Vader and um, Obi-Wan at, you know, with within the, like, the salt mines or whatever it is over there. And... You know, there's a lot of, like, weird spatial awareness things. Like, you know, he'll go behind a pillar of sand and then, like, lose Darth Vader. He loses Darth Vader for, you know, five minutes or so as he's, like, walking around, not sure where to go next. And then, like, later when Vader, like, lights that place up conveniently, Obi-Wan gets away on the other side of that fire thing. But, like, 
Vader could just look Vader's armor is meant to like withstand fire anyway so he could just walk through it and not be harmed um he could go around the fire he can there was absolutely zero reason for Obi-Wan to get away in Mapuzo in that episode and it's all to do with like spatial awareness it's like people walk out of the frame and we're just meant to believe that they're not there anymore you know it's like have you ever played peekaboo with like uh, a baby for whatever reason when you cover your face they lose the awareness that you're currently in front of them and it's kind of like that with obi-wan kenobi <laughs> like the babies don't have the cognizance to realize that there's something blocking uh the other person but when you remove your hand and go peekaboo the kid freaks out because oh my god there's a person right there you know it's it's kind of it feels like that in a way with uh with obi-wan kenobi in the sense that like as soon as a character exits camera frame we're suddenly meant to believe that the person that's still in the camera frame no longer knows what the, where the character is and it just kept happening and um i think that's ultimately an issue with the cinematographer or the director you know whoever's in charge of like what's in the frame i i think that's that's my biggest gripe with obi-wan kenobi you know other than that, I think that the story is solid. It's not like superb, but it's solid enough that I can enjoy every single episode, you know? Do you think that um, with the fire moment that he allowed Obi-Wan to get away because he had like a moment, he had a momentary confliction? You know, it's a possibility, but they never touch on it. They never even like hint that that's a possibility. So it's impossible for us to say, you know, that's, that's a, that's it's an a easy cannon. way for us to like get around that issue. It's a headcanon thing, you know, like it's something that like, I believe that he would have let Obi-Wan go in this instance, but no, we don't actually see that. We just see him getting away. And then the next episode, he's all angry because he has no idea where Obi-Wan is. <laughs> so anyway, that's my, that's my little tangent. So let's go back to where, where we're talking about. We have, uh, Leia has been kidnapped by Flea and friends. Uh, Leia's been kidnapped by the Red Hot Chili Peppers uh, <laughs> at the behest of <laughs> at the behest of Reva. <laughs> yeah. What did you think of Reva? Because I know a lot of people either didn't care for her or hated her. I didn't hate her. So I liked Reva. I think that the actress is... I don't think there's anything wrong with the actress. I don't know if it's the writing for her, but they kind of made her a little one dimensional. Yeah, she she didn't they didn't give her enough. I feel like they didn't give her enough depth. They gave her right. a little bit and I guess near near the end. And, near the end they gave her. Right. Bit. And for the longest time I'm like, why is she so angry at Obi-Wan? Like why is she so dead set on capturing him? Really the only one that should have any beef with him is Vader. Right, yeah. And, you know, throughout the show, we see that she's, like, very angry. She's very angsty. She has beef with everyone. She has beef with Vader. She has beef with Obi-Wan. She has beef with the Grand Inquisitor and the other Inquisitors. And uh, every planet she goes on, she's starting fights in the effort to get Obi-Wan Kenobi. And, yeah, so that's, that's like, the whole driving motivation and force behind her. And it's not until very late in the show where we're given any real character depth as to, like to explain what her end game is you know right 
And I, I guess her beef with Obi-Wan is the fact that Vader is his apprentice. You know, it was his apprentice. And at the end of the day, it's like, you know, you failed to take him out when you should have. Look what he did with to my fellow younglings. He just struck him down. Yeah. So Reva, we, we have we end up getting flashbacks later on that she was one of the younglings that Vader at the time struck down. And she clearly knew who Anakin Skywalker was at the time because she saw Anakin's face. She, and, and obviously, you know, if you know Anakin, you know Obi-Wan at that, at that time, right. you know? They were pretty inseparable for the most part. So it was uh, understandable for her to make the connection, uh, as we see in episode two, that Anakin Skywalker is Darth Vader. And the reason that Vader is so intent on capturing uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi is because that was his master previously. So she made the connection and her ultimate goal was to get as close as possible to Darth Vader so that she can take her revenge ultimately. Um, so her goal was to uh, supersede and you know take over control of the Grand Inquisitor position so that she could be uh, Vader's right-hand man and take him down when he least expected it. Right. And basically the moral of the story is be careful what you wish for. I know, seriously. What did you think about the flashbacks to Order 66? I actually thought that they, those were well done. I, I thought it was really cool. Them going back and kind of just that opening scene that they did to start off the show. Yeah, no, uh, there's there's a lot within the first episode alone that we're, we haven't like even touched on. But w when it comes to that opening scene of them in Coruscant in the Jedi Temple, it was cool. You know, it's cool. It's tragic and it's terrible. You don't want to see Jedi fall. Right. Jedi are the good guy. Jedi are the people who have sworn to protecting the galaxy. And here they are just being massacred. It's the first scene in the show. And obviously it's it's terrible. And you know, what is extra sad about it is the fact that you, you see younglings, kids, being targeted. And their mentors or their teachers, they have to, you know, stand up in between the aggressors and, and the students. And it's, it's a terrible thing to visualize. And it's even more terrible because, you know, we actually see that in our day-to-day -day lives nowadays, you know, with unfortunate school shootings and all that. So... It's it, it takes on new meaning nowadays when that's unfortunately a more common issue that we deal with in uh, our country of origin. So it's it's hard to watch, but it's also like amazing that they're able to capture it uh, in such a way. And you need it because that's part of the Star Wars story. You know, you need to see the fall of the Jedi, and it's important to the origin of this character, Riva. You know, you need to understand where she came from to understand how she got where she is. Right. And we never really saw what happened in the inside. Like, we knew that it fell. We knew that it was taken over. But we never really got to see the conflict within the inside of it. And we got a bit more of that in this show. It glossed over a lot in Revenge of the Sith. I mean, obviously, it didn't gloss over everything. But there was a lot of uh, stuff that was just hinted at or highlighted in Obi-Wan Kenobi that was interesting enough for us to, you know, really get a taste of, like, her side of the story from uh, her perspective. And we get, like, incremental flashbacks of Anakin Skywalker with some uh, clone troopers behind him, you know, taking out younglings. And there's, like, a first-person perspective of him, like, stabbing through Reva, but not exactly killing her, you know? 
Right. So she comes up with this crazy plan. I don't know how it worked, but she comes with the, up with a crazy plan that <laughs> that works. Let's kidnap the princess of Alderaan because I read a story about how Obi-Wan Kenobi and Bail Organa were cool 10 years ago. And I think that if we steal the princess, he will come to Bail Organa's aid. It's a crazy story because, you know, Bail Organa is the leader of the uh, leader of the planet. He has so many forces at, at his beck and call. He has so many friends within the Senate, within the Empire, within everything that he can just call upon to help get his, his kids back or his kid back. But somehow, you know, Obi-Wan takes the bait, Bail asks for him specifically, and that's how we start our journey with Obi-Wan, you know, taking Ben, taking up uh, his duties as Obi-Wan again. Reva's like, it's a crazy notion, but it's crazy enough that it just might work. That's pretty much what it is, you know? <laughs> like, it's so crazy, it might just work. Uh, it's, a, it's a one in a billion chance, but I'm gonna take it. Hey, her gamble paid off. Uh, they got Leia. They got Obi-Wan. They take Leia to Dayu for the second episode. And what did you think of Dayu? That was a new planet for us. I thought it was cool. It was almost like a space-age Hong Kong. Yeah, it had like Hong Kong feel. Some Blade Runner right. vibes to it. Some Tokyo as well. Yeah, so I like that too. Uh, it had uh, episode two vibes, for sure. Right, and then our boy... Uh, his daughter was in it too. Yeah, that was an interesting interaction. So Ewan McGregor's daughter shows up briefly to sell him spice and basically gives him a free sample, which he uses to great effect later on um, as he takes that red hot chili spice and, you know, demolishes the red hot chili peppers. (laughs) (laughs) Are you really going to like play that up? (laughs) <laughs> I, I, I gotta do it while I can. I mean, Flea's only in two episodes, so. <laughs> oh my gosh. Done. Um, <laughs> the Red Hot Chili episode... Spice. <laughs> <laughs> Done. <laughs> but it was cool seeing uh, his daughter show up. Yeah, yeah, it was. She even says a line. She says, she says a line where it's like, I was somebody's daughter once too. And I, I'm <laughs> knowing that it's his kid, it's like kind of a weird scene. But anyway, it's it's fun for Star Wars. In his attempt to you know find the prison cell where Leia is being held captive, he stumbles upon a a guy who's playing the role of a Jedi. You know, he's like basically a swindler, pretending <laughs> to be a Jedi. His name's Haja, and yeah, I I I have like mixed feelings about him. Personally, like I think like sometimes his character works really well in the series and sometimes it's like juxtaposed to the story that they're trying to tell. I feel like that actor always but, plays that type of character. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, Kumal Nanjiani. Yeah. yeah. He, he played it in uh, Eternals too. Yeah. Like, he did a very similar character. Yeah, he did. He really did. But yeah. <laughs> he was a Bollywood star in that. That was Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So... No, it was funny. The little, like, tricks that he would pull that Obi-Wan was not amused with. Not at all. You know, he was, like, breaking his magnets, breaking his remote controls. Interestingly, and this is really cool. So, the kid that he sends off, and, like, when we first meet Haja, you know, he's with a mother and a child. In the credits, the kid is named Corin. C-O-R-R-A-N. And for fans of, like, the post- uh, Return of the Jedi Legends novels, like the New Jedi Order and stuff, Corrin Horn 
was one of the primary Jedi at the time. So that was like a nod that this character from Legends is alive at this time and he's he's a child during the, the Obi-Wan era. So a little Legends nod for, for those who are interested. But I, I personally got a huge kick out of that because I remember when I was a kid, um, the first book I had read was the first New Jedi Order book. And I was telling my parents... Yeah, there's a guy named Corin Horn, and all they kept hearing was Cornhorn. <laughs> uh, so it's just a little bit of like just uh, a good memory from me experiencing Star Wars novels when I was a kid. So I thought that was pretty cool. Which is, I remember reading a bit of that series also. I think that they got the vibe of the the main enemy of that series and brought it over to the the Nihil a little bit and Light of the Jedi. Mm, yeah, so the Yuuzhan Vong, um, which were the the primary baddies of the New Jedi Order series, maybe like are spiritual successors to the Nihil. You know, like they're not the same by any stretch of the imagination, but they feel like that that threat of them is as strong as the Yuuzhan Vong. You know, so yeah, I could see that. Right. So yeah, moral of this this rabbit trail. There's a legend, yeah, this rabbit hole, that uh, there's a character from Legends that was named in this episode. (laughs) Yes. That's it. That's it. I mean, it's cool, though. It's it's cool that they brought him into it. And there's a possibility of that character now being in Luke's new Jedi Order, you know, that (laughs) is very quickly and summarily destroyed by his nephew. So let's let's jump back. So Obi-Wan finally captures or recaptures, no, captures Leia. Uh, from her captors by using the red hot chili spice on the red hot chili peppers <laughs> anyway they, they he finds the room where she's being held and i love the line where she's just like where's the army you know she's just expecting her father to use the full force of his power to you know reclaim her and they just send one old guy it's like who the heck's um, this guy uh and then they 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 go on the run and i love the the little interactions between leia and and Ben. I think they that's one of the things they really, really nailed down. Because going into the original trilogy, episode four A New Hope, we know that Leia knows who Obi-Wan is, but it's not clear whether she had any like actual experience or like personal time with Obi-Wan Kenobi. So it was always weird when she called her child Ben, you know? Like that seems like something that Luke would call a kid, not Leia. But when in Obi-Wan Kenobi, they really bring those two characters together for a a, a large portion of the show and they become very close. And I really appreciate that. And actually, my brother Noah, uh, he brought up there's a scene in A New Hope when Luke breaks into her prison cell and he goes, I'm here with Ben Kenobi. And then she goes, Ben Kenobi? Well, where is he? Or something like that. And that that one scene is perfect it's a perfect run-up from what happens in Obi-Wan Kenobi. And they they nailed it perfectly. And I'm... And that was probably it's, it's unintentional. Really cool. Like, I mean... I, it, no, yeah, yeah like exactly, even, exactly. I mean, shoot. Let's be real. George, George Lucas thought that that was the only Star Wars he was going to be making, so... <laughs> yeah, no, Lucas... I mean, because it really, yeah, literally uh, was just called Star Wars. There's no New Hope. Right, exactly. Back in 77, it was just star wars and that was cool you know it was a good it was a great movie you know it was, it was one of the best movies of all time so I, that, that's cool 
Anyway, but yeah, so it, using that, just the inflection of the way that she says Ben Kenobi, they were able to tell this whole story about how she was saved by Ben Kenobi when she was 10 years old. And that was so cool to me. The fact that they were able to tie those two things in together. And the, the show does so much more than just tie that together. They also tie in... I mean, we'll get into more of that later, but yeah, they, they tie in a lot of like little loose ends as to like why Alec Guinness's version of Obi-Wan says certain things as opposed to other things like calling Darth Vader Darth instead of Anakin or Darth Vader, you know, like it, it, little things like that, like that just make a lot more sense now having seen the thing. True. So Reva finally catches up to Obi-Wan and uh, Leia uh, on the run and she sets out a bounty for the the two of them mostly for obi-wan kenobi and that's when leia realizes that she needs to run away from this guy she thinks that he's the reason she's been caught which is true and um but she foolishly runs away um and he needs to catch her to save her life right she realizes that she's bait to get this man yes. out in the open one thing i really like about young leia is like she's a she's a little genius prodigy right she's sharp which makes sense for leia because leia she is a smart character and mm -hmm. it would only be it would be natural for her to be pretty sharp as a young as a young kid you know and there's several times in the series where obi-wan is taken aback by like how smart she is like in episode two he goes how old are you and she goes 10 and he goes you don't act like you're 10 <laughs> or like you don't seem like you're 10 she goes thank you <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it's just so crazy though just the rage that reva has against obi-wan man it's just she wants she yeah. wants she wants this guy bad and like jumping on I, I hate going back to like the spatial awareness but there's the whole scene where like obi-wan is like facing off against a, a couple bounty hunters on the roof and we see like interspersed with those action scenes you know reva like jumping and doing parkour on the rooftops trying to catch up with obi-wan and then nothing comes of it you know like it's like five minutes later and she's just like lost him but i got this other guy who thinks he's a jedi named haja <laughs> you know and she gets the information out of him but it's like why show that like show her running across the rooftops if she isn't actually going to catch anything it's weird stuff like that just kind of like, like annoy me to put it lightly but anyway so she she ends up catching up with the transport that obi-wan and leia are sent on from haja she catches up to him and so does the Grand Inquisitor, who's like had enough of Reva because she's going above and beyond her station. She's calling Vader. She's 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 had she's like setting off like a bounty hunt against this person, uh, like planet wide. And it's just crazy what she's doing. And eventually, you know, the Grand Inquisitor is like, I've had enough of you, and she just stabs him. <laughs> I know, right? R Reva's just like, okay, you're my way. Because, I mean, she has this clear goal in mind and the Grand Inquisitors, which is actually a kind of funny when you think about the Inquisitors, where the Grand Inquisitors essentially like, you need to relax, like take a chill pill. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's a group of like really angry people and she, she like makes, she makes them look like soft in comparison. Right, um, they're all literally so, like, you need to relax. Yeah, you need to chill. You need to take some red hot chili spice. <laughs> what was I gonna say? Um, so yeah, she ends up stabbing through the 
uh, Grand Inquisitor, and we knew that it wasn't going to be. We knew he wasn't dead because he's in Rebels later on, right? You know, down right. the timeline. So it's like, all right, well, we'll see how that fares for you. The lightsaber to but, the gut doesn't kill anybody anymore. Now, what do you think about the scene where she like mentions, you know, we're gonna take you to to see him, to see Darth Vader, and then you see the look on Obi Wan's face where he's just like, what? And um, well, when he said when she clearly, says uh, Anakin, she actually says his name. Yeah, and then and then she says Anakin, but she's like, oh, you didn't know. Anakin's alive, right? Obi Wan did know that his that he changed to Darth Vader at that point because he saw the holo, hologram. Um, he saw a hologram of him like killing younglings and everything. But what do you think about that scene? Because uh, some people didn't like it. Some people didn't like the fact that she knew who Anakin Skywalker was. And uh, what I wonder what you think. Well, we knew that she had, I mean, obviously, I don't know, I guess because maybe because of her interaction with Anakin before he became the Darth Vader that we know, that's probably why she actually knew him. But what like really got me was the fact that Obi-Wan 10 years down the line does not know that Anakin is still around that Anakin is still alive. That put him into a state of PTSD, really. Like, he was freaking out. Yeah, you saw him, like, hyperventilating on the the passenger craft later on that episode. And what's interesting is it actually makes sense for the character not to know that Darth Vader is, you know, still alive, that Anakin isn't alive. Because it's not like he's actively looking for news around the galaxy. You know, he's literally a hermit in a cave occasionally trying to reach out to his old master Qui-Gon through the force. That's it. That's that's the the most news that he probably gets besides like going into town and, you know, work. So he probably doesn't get a lot of like news about the the wider galaxy around him, especially not when it comes to like uh Jedi hunting, which is primarily what Vader was uh, in charge of at that time because he trained the Inquisitors. So he tried to stay away from any Jedi news, and in so doing, he didn't know that Vader was still alive. Yeah, and well, and then there's also the fact that it does seem that he had been trying to connect with Luke to train him, which would be interesting considering the fact that Obi Wan had disconnected himself from the Force. Right. I'm, I'm sure he remembered all of the you know the ways to train someone right so that that clearly was that's probably something that he wouldn't lose but the actual like uh relation to the force clearly he had gotten weak you know as vader mentioned in in some of the fights uh going into episode three we have uh obi-wan is on the run he's he's in his passenger transport they they send him to mapuzo and they're looking for someone who's supposed to meet them there but there's nobody there and that's where we meet my favorite character my favorite new character freck <laughs> yo everyone hates freck because he's like this imperial like suck up character but i thought that freck was super fun you know like he's just a citizen trying to do his best in the galaxy he's trying to do right by the the government uh and he's got friends uh on his like little route that he goes on and you know what i'm talking about right freck is the the mole looking yeah. guy I think that this was that moment where I had really gotten that world, the World War Two uh, Nazi influence from, you know, the Empire. You know, just like kind of the symbol and just the way that they had to be like kind of sneak around them. And, you know, so so I really had gotten that like vibe in that moment, especially. And I think you had mentioned kind of like how how it was in some of the episodes that you had mentioned 
the um, just like how the empire is in this series. Yeah, so I actually like the the point you bring out about the symbolism and like the symbol of the empire being. It was actually scary for Obi Wan. They're they're trying their best to run away from the empire. Leia runs up to this guy in uh, a transport vehicle. His name's Freck. He's a mole dude. Anyway, he seems really nice and friendly. But as soon as they go around back, they see his loyalties plain and clear. Yeah. You know, he has a empire flag right on the entrance to his transport, and. It becomes terrifying to the audience because you understand that this isn't going to end well. Something about this scenario isn't going to work out. And it, it's a whole... I actually really like that scene. That whole scene where they're in um, that transport and then the, the stormtroopers come up. Um, and they're like grilling him about like the specifics of like, what are you doing on this planet? You're with... Uh, you're supposed to be... I think he slips up and says Leia instead of Luna or Luma, which was oh uh, yeah, which was the the name that he had given Leia. They're trying to pretty much keep themselves on the down low because there had been that bounty put out. Yeah, so I like I like the comparison you just made about World War Two because it did definitely have those feel, especially uh, that feel of especially the environment of that planet. It kind of gave you that it was almost not exactly like Germany, but there there was like those fields and they're kind of on the dirt path and then that whole vehicle that they were on kind of reminded me of those vehicles those transport vehicles that they would use especially the the military like you know those yeah actually that's a really good comparison like the transport barges that they would use for for soldiers for soldiers and, and supplies with the like canopies over the top usually yeah this didn't have the right, canopy right. um but it it did have that feel and that vibe and yeah, the tensions were, were there. It was similar tensions to um, that episode in Mandalorian where Bill Burr's character is talking to his previous uh, officer. Oh, yeah. Remember that? That was good. That, that was, was really, really good. Yeah, it got super tense. And that moment right there. Because you know that they were trying to stand it down low. And yeah. even... Uh, <laughs> Even then, Jaren in the episode just like, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, you knew Obi-Wan wasn't going to do anything stupid, but you're like, oh my gosh, they're going to get found out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it was it was a different scenario because you don't have, like, neither Obi-Wan nor Leia are like hotheads. Like, uh, I forget Bill Burr's character's name at this moment, but also, like, Din Djarin has a temper on him, you know? Like, he's kind of a loose cannon, but Bill Burr's character definitely was a loose cannon. Looser cannon. He knows something. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, that was definitely, um, there was a lot more at stake there, but... It, with with this, it's 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 a lot smaller scale. You know, it's just a couple stormtroopers. It's a it's one you know entrance point into uh, or like barricade point that they have to get through. It's a smaller deal ultimately. Right, right. But just the specifics of it and the fear of like what's at stake, it makes it just as important. You know, in the moment, I I love that part. And then we actually meet um, at the barricade Tala, who becomes pivotal, and that's actually who they were supposed to meet when they got to Maputo. Right. I'm at, I'm actually really I'm happy that they that they were able to get through that barricade because man, that thing was hard to get past. <laughs> yeah. All they had to do is shoot it um, <laughs> or walk around it. <laughs> 
that, that's actually like my yes or walk around it like why couldn't they just walk around it like the, the camera's literally the camera's literally pointed at like the corner where there's like a three foot gap where you could just walk around it i've seen um, memes anyway. about it honestly yeah it's but one of my biggest gripes with star wars in general is like if you can't enter a room, just destroy the data pad that's right next to the door. <laughs> like, and it automatically opens. Like, it's like, there's what, no... what are codes for when you could just destroy it? Right, what's... Because there's a whole job in Star Wars called Slicer, which is that... That's their whole purpose. It's to, like, open and, like, decode stuff. But, like... If you just have a blaster, you can get into anywhere. You want to go into the bank? You just shoot the door. <laughs> <laughs> For real, right? They're like, <laughs> they're like, oh man, we gotta hire a slicer. If you give me that money, I'll do it for yeah. you. <laughs> get over here, freck. <laughs> All right. So they they meet Tala. They go to the town in Mapuzo. Um, you know, she's explaining like what the the way is or the path i think they they call it different different things but it's like an underground railroad yeah i think it was called the path yeah so they show you like where it is and i actually thought that that whole scenario was cool like that there's like this underground system that all leads to jabim and that's like the meeting place of all these different underground railroad locations to eventually find like new passage for you know for sensitive people or people just on the run from the empire so oh, it was cool that it's kind of like um, a, it was cool that we had somebody that wrote something at that place that he was at. Somebody that we know well, Quinlan yes. Voss. Quinlan Voss. Yeah. Did you ever read the book? Dark Disciple. Um, yeah, that yes. was good. That's a good one. That's a really good book, and that's a great. That's I think that's the only. Yeah, that is the only canon novel where it's like a big Quinlan Voss novel, and I highly recommend it. I'd love to do a show on that uh, eventually at some point, but there's so many things to do shows about. Highly recommend dark disciple especially if you're an asajj ventures fan yeah i feel like audiobooks those like star wars audiobooks one like even the smaller production ones are really good but the ones that are like they they're like a production it's like listening to an episode or a movie of star wars essentially it's true yeah no they do a really good job with the production value they add sound effects they add music they um give like ambience in the background and uh, everything seems and fits really yeah. well and lately they've been knocking it out of the park i think ever since like light of the jedi their production quality has like bumped a little bit higher. oh really that's crazy um, because there was a lot before that that i thought were amazing oh yeah no they, they they've always been especially good. No, they've always... uh dooku the dooku one well dooku jedi lost was a was an audio drama that's that's like a, a separate thing altogether that needs to have like production mm. quality but like for the regular audiobooks where it's just someone narrating what's written on the page they they also add you know sound effects and uh, ambience and stuff and music and stuff like that but lately i feel like the production quality has just been getting better and better every book um and no 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 difference with the uh, shadow of the sith another great uh audiobook so definitely check that out uh on audible but um yeah where were we we just got sidetracked but anyway oh yeah the so path. let's let's go into uh the path yeah so there's that little um i i really loved that little uh not to quinlan Voss. it's good to know that he is or at least was around long enough to write that we don't know if he's alive still you know but this is the latest that we've heard of quinlan Voss being alive at this point 
and the saga. Yeah. Yeah, it was actually pretty cool. Yeah, well, yeah, I guess because Obi-Wan hadn't had contact with anybody for a while. So seeing that was genuinely a pleasant surprise. She's like, like, oh my gosh, he's alive. Or was. Yeah, there w- it was a touching moment where, you know, he, he saw the writing on the wall and he was taken aback. You know, that's my old friend from the war or from, you know, before the war even. So that's that was cool. It's, and it's good to see that other Jedi have made it out alive, supposedly, through the path. And we can assume that Quinlan Vos is probably still alive. And I could see him surviving, especially with the type of Jedi that he is. He's just one of those like really resourceful ones that can yeah, kind of do type... what he needs to do to survive, you know? Yeah, he's, uh, he's very much a scavenger type uh, character, you know? Like, he, if you put him in the woods for a month he'll be fine yeah <laughs> oh yeah he'll be fine you know? he, he'll he'll have a whole thing set up he'll, he'll probably have like a base camp and just oh for sure yeah yeah he, he yeah he he'll be good he'll be good so in that episode uh reva and the inquisitors and vader show up uh on mapuzo and as as kenobi is trying to get leia out safe they end up getting separated because Obi-Wan decides to stay and draw draw Vader away from Leia. Because his ultimate goal is to not let Vader know that Leia and or Luke are still alive. Or, or even alive, you know? So he stays ba- behind and then Tala and Leia go ahead. It's interesting. There are certain scenes that show that Tala is um, at least partially Force-sensitive. Because there's a, there's a moment where Obi-Wan gets into trouble when he's fighting vader and she stops in the cave and she you know she senses that there's something wrong and so she she decides to head back this is another one of those things where like spatial awareness is kind of weird when it comes to the path because we don't actually know if there are other i mean we have to assume that there are other like divergent paths within that underground pathway basically because what we do know is that there's an entrance in this droid depot and then there's another entrance where there's going to be a shuttle to get off planet. So we know that there's at least two entrances. But when Tala decides to go back, that's when Riva enters the path and they never intersect. We find that Tala ends up in like whatever salt mines or whatever that Vader and Obi-Wan are at. And Riva is still in the path at some point and she never intersects with Tala. So there has to be a like side corridor that Tala exits out of that we just don't see. But a problem with that is that we're not shown that. So it's like, it's awkward, you know? It's just like a, wait, what happened kind of thing? Am I making sense? Or? No, no, you are. I'm just trying to think back on that episode to see if I remember, There was there any point where it actually forks off or it just seemed like a not straight we, line? It just seems like a straight line. That's mm. the problem. Like. It doesn't seem like there's any forks, but there must be at some point because Tala and Riva never intersect, but they're going, they're bound to intersect if it's just a one way, you know? And then there's the the whole like, well, how did Riva find the other side of the, uh, the path anyway before Leia gets there? But that's another story and it's, I guess she could figure it out, whatever. So Riva captures young Leia and Vader throws Obi-Wan Kenobi around in the fire a little bit. What'd you think of that first fight? Well, before that, before he actually came across Obi-Wan, Vader was, I mean, he was menacing, man. He was, 
um, throwing some people around, choking them out. Like he was doing some crazy stuff to draw Obi Wan out. He breaks he breaks the kid's yeah. neck. Yeah, that was that was just savage. That was uncalled for. <laughs> hey, it was uh, Vader. So and Vader, Vader did it to draw Obi Wan out. One hundred percent. It definitely worked. Vader and Obi Wan show showdown, and there's a lot of like moments where it's almost like a fake out like they're about to fight or they fight a little bit and then obi-wan like runs around a pile of sand and then vader can't find him anymore like those babies playing peekaboo well i mean i think that i don't think it that like vader lost him no i don't think that vader lost him i mean like i'm being too critical here i i think that i mean because if he truly had lost him then obi-wan would have gotten away no he, he showed up remember that's true he kind of he popped up on him with his lightsaber <laughs> yeah a couple times so, it's true i think that really vader was just toying with him he's he's playing with his food uh, i think that this first fight was a really uh necessary one for obi-wan it was to it was a wake-up call to put a wake-up call that he needs to get his act together and get the force back as well as just for the audience to show like that this isn't the same jedi knight that we're used to you know and it's it's almost like a prelude like there's gonna be another showdown eventually in this show between vader and obi-wan and there's gonna there there has to be that arc of regrowth for him yeah all right so obi-wan makes it out alive thankfully and they put him in bacta and like by the episode four um the entire point uh, or the entire purpose of that episode is for obi-wan to go into fortress inquisitorius which uh i'm sure you spent a lot of time there in jedi fallen order oh man that was such a good game i don't know if you played it i played a lot of it i i, I haven't finished it you need to i know i do i really do um especially now that they're doing the second one yeah so fortress inquisitorius what did you think of that entire episode like some people like really liked it some people didn't like what they did with the fortress design i think there's comparisons that you can find online where it's like the design is somewhat like less impressive than it was in the game or something like that but the game was designed for you to actually kind of like be in it and and whatnot the tv show you weren't going to see it the way that you were going to see it in the game so i'm just believing that there's parts of there's parts of it that you're seeing in the game that you're obviously not seeing in the tv show but i i thought it was a good episode i thought that we got a good hallway scene uh with with obi-wan okay yeah so there we got a couple like pretty good hallway scenes with obi-wan on that one but are you talking about the one with the the glass holding back the? that was a good one that was interesting what i Jen was telling me that there's another podcast she listens to called Blast Points, and it's a Star Wars podcast. So shout out to Blast Points. And they were mentioning that, like, how dumb of a design is it that, like, a, a standard blaster can, like, poke a hole through their <laughs> a very structural part of their fortress <laughs> that's, like, underwater. Um, and it's true, like, it, it should... It, if that were real life, it would be like super tempered glass, you know, like. Well, yeah, yeah, you would have to. You would believe that it would take a lot more for it to, for you to take it down because of the the pressure of the water. Right. Exactly. So, but other than that, it, it was a a really um, powerful moment because that's kind of the moment that he got his mojo back. Yeah. So we needed that water. We needed that glass to break. Right. Long long gone are the days of the Red Hot Chili Spice. Now he's got his mojo back. You guys can't see it, but Anthony's just shaking his head on the other side of the camera. 
Uh, let's let's keep going. So he that's the scene where or that's the episode where Riva's interrogating young Leia, and that's like honestly, I, I I'm so impressed by I'm I'm impressed by the acting like all around in the in the show. But I'm really impressed with young Leia. I, I don't actually know the the actress's name. I'm gonna look it up really quick. I did enjoy yeah. that she was toying with Riva, <laughs> which is very funny i know she she's a 10 year old and she's keeping her composure a lot better than reva yeah and she's like toying with her with fake tears and she's asking all the right questions and then she's she's actually like interrogating reva in in a way like if you rewatch it you'll notice she's asking very specific questions that's like making reva you know reva's talking in circles like she's beating around the bush but she's answering enough questions for her to realize that Leia plays Riva. Uh, so the actress's name is Vivian Lyra Blair or Lyra Blair. Uh, yeah, she did great. I, I hope that they use more of her in the future as um, as a young Leia in a future titles, whatever they decide to do with the the future projects. Yeah, maybe uh, Andor. Um, probably not because that's it's a little further in the timeline. I love the scene where Obi Wan breaks her out. Uh, you know, like the, the the room gets dark and the two stormtroopers are like, hey. What's that? And you see the lightsaber just chop him in half. Yeah. That was a good yeah. scene where she's in that, that interrogation contraption. Right. Yeah. Lots of fun stuff in that. And there's also like some stupid stuff in it. Like uh, at the end where he's just, he has Leia underneath a coat and they're walking past like hundreds of people at alert. You know, like everyone's looking for these two individuals and here's this guy with a big coat <laughs> and four legs <laughs> and it's obviously not he's obviously not in like imperial regs because all of them are kind of clean cut very sharp their their uniforms are very sharp and he's just like kind of like loose giant coat looks like there's somebody underneath and the there. imperials imperials if i remember correctly they they're kind of like nazis in the sense that they don't have beards yeah, like yeah, right? like dude, they're all they're clean cut. Like yeah. super super clean cut. Yeah. So so he stands out tremendously. Yeah. So that's that's interesting. Um and then they get saved by those two people in uh the snow speeders. One of them is named Wade. And I always, I thought it was so funny like when they went back to their base and like the the other girls like all sad and like where's Wade? And then nobody no nobody wonders where Wade is after that. You know, they get to the um, they get to the transport like station at Jabim, and they're all like, "Did you get the girl?" And they're like, "Yeah, we got the girl." But nobody asked for Wade at that point. <laughs> I was like, "Poor Wade." He went down. Nobody asked. Uh, the actress who plays Tala, she was also in Game of Thrones. Yes, she name. was. I gotta look her up. She she played Indira Varma. That's her name. Yeah, she she uh, played yeah, so, um, Pedro Pascal's love interest yes. in that. Isn't it crazy? It's like they've been taking all of these Game of Thrones actors and actresses and putting them into these Star Wars shows. They're doing good. So yeah, she she actually shined quite a bit in this episode. She she got them into the fortress to begin with, right? Um, and 
was able to guide them through it even though like it was at great you know at great personal loss to her in the sense that like you know she's giving up the fact that she's a double agent uh she has been for like a, a, a couple years at this point i really appreciated the her ingenuity in the moment like bringing reva away from the interrogation room um so that she can basically like lie to her face <laughs> Uh, I know. Yeah, I, 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 I love the interaction between Riva and Tala in that episode. I know she, she stood her ground too. Mm -hmm. uh, let's jump into episode five. We have Vader and friends who now know that they're at Jabim because Riva put a tracker into Lola. No, she just set Lola uh, into evil mode. Well, yeah, but no, she there was a tracker in Lola. <laughs> no, that, I know. That... <laughs> it, she, she she set Lola in evil mode and she started tracking. Yes, yeah, there you go. So, oh my um, gosh, yeah. They they find they find their location on Jabim and it becomes like a slow um, barricade moment where they they can't get out because the 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 blast doors up top are locked thanks to evil Lola and. And, you know, they're outside just trying to, like, blast their way in. The whole episode is, like, a, a big back-and-forth siege tactic sort of thing. When the Empire thinks that they've made uh, a step forward, they've actually made, like, two steps back, and so on and so right. forth. What'd you think of that episode? Because we actually got a really good fight. We got some great Vader action in that episode. Yeah, we really did get some, some good Vader action. The vibe of it kind of reminded me a little bit of the last jedi where they're kind of holding off in that in that bunker area against the well that was the first order this is the empire and so this one was really action-packed we got some really good fighting we lost tala in this one yes yeah we did uh she she went out to to protect everybody and this is where we get Reva's backstory. This is where Obi-Wan realizes that she's hunting Vader. Yeah. This this is also a, an episode where we get some flashbacks to pre-Clone Wars uh, Master and Apprentice stuff with Obi-Wan and uh, Anakin. Why are you laughing? <laughs> I'm just laughing because how old they looked. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, no, it, that was probably a scene where they could have done a little more, like, makeup or a little more de-aging action. They needed de -aging to do a little action. bit of de-aging. They really needed to because, like... It worked for Ewan, but it didn't work at all for um, for Hayden. Like, he's he's grown far too much um, in, in, the, in the years since he filmed last. Right, right. He, um... Obi-Wan probably needed just a little bit of a touch-up in de-aging, but right. Anakin, he needed a bit of de-aging because he's a lot older. You could tell he's a lot older yeah. than the character that he's supposed to be playing, which is, what would you say? He's probably, he's probably at least 20 years older than the character he's supposed to be playing. But yeah, he needed, they needed some de-aging there. That, that, that's what kind of made me laugh. I love that scene, but him looking older like messed me up yeah that that was i mean i i, I kind of looked past it like i still love the fact that they brought hayden on oh uh, yeah that, that's huge because i i love the actor so much and i think that he's kind of like fallen away from acting because of partially it has to be partially because of the negative response of the prequels at the time right um, I, so seeing him I, seeing him happy and like excited to be in that role dude i'm all for it i don't even care if they don't de-age him 
bring him back as much as you can. I, I, yeah, I think that he got he got a bad rap for it, and it was almost like uh, Robert Pattinson, you know, where. Although I, I would say Robert Pattinson got the shorter end of the stick because I'm, in Star Wars, you can dislike Star Wars. There's, there's going to be a group of people that dislike it, but there's also going to be an also, there's also going to be a huge group that likes the prequels. Like I've always liked Hayden Christensen and I've always liked the prequels. Do they have their problems? Yes, but it doesn't get, for me, it still feels very much so like Star Wars, you know? Totally. And so, yeah, no, I, I agree. And so, yeah, I just think that he, yeah, he he was unjustly thrown on the wayside after that whole after that whole ordeal. So I'm happy he's back. I'm happy that they brought him back, not only to reprise that role as Anakin Skywalker, but to also be in the suit of Darth Vader. That's cool. Yeah. That's like that's what he was hired to do in the first place. You know, is to eventually embody Darth Vader. So that uh, that was nice. You mentioned that it had uh, Last Jedi vibes. Is that what you said? Uh, episode five. Yes. Remember, there were they were stuck in that bunker in the Last Jedi, and they yeah. were biding time to to escape. Right. That's that's actually a really good point. What I noticed, and I may just be seeing things, but I noticed that. Take a look at the episode titles of everything. It's it's uh, part one, part two, part three, and so on. But the episode numbers are in Roman numerals. It's like part I, part II, part III, part IV, and so on. And I, that got me thinking, like, is there some connection between each of these episodes and their corresponding, like, saga films? And when I was re-watching it, I was like, oh, yeah, there is. Um, so in the first episode, you have little stuff like like Luke pretending to be on a pod racer mm. and he has the, the glasses. And then you have Leia who uh, in the very beginning, she has a decoy. You know, she has that like uh, alien girl like dress up as her and it, it like freaks out her, mo- her mother. Oh, yeah. That's kind of like what happens with Padme with her decoys uh, and her handmaidens. And then episode two you have a large sequence in Coruscant. You have that whole like un- Coruscant underground, which is very similar to what we had in Dayu. Episode three, obviously, the big connection is the 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 fire that you know Anakin is roasted on in episode three, and then Obi Wan is is roasted in part three, like chestnuts. Episode four is probably the biggest connection because that's the one where they have to break into an imperial facility to. Um, save yeah. Princess Leia. Um, that's like a direct correlation between der- the Death Star and Fortress Inquisitorius. Episode 5, uh, I would say that the Empire Strikes Back, it reminds me of the opening to Empire Strikes Back. On Hoth. Where they're in, on Hoth, yeah. yeah, and they're in that rebel base, they're trying to escape it. So I think that's the big connection there. And then finally in the sixth part, it's the, the moral and the emotional connection between uh, Obi-Wan and Anakin versus Luke and Anakin or Luke and Vader right. you know? and I think those juxtaposed I, I don't know I think it's intentional you know I'm probably missing quite a bit you know if I really break it down there's probably a lot more connections between each episode and each uh, you know part of Obi-Wan but I don't know there's definitely something there that's cool I never thought about it that way I had noticed the Roman numerals but I didn't think of them in that kind of way that's actually pretty cool but that episode was really really cool 
we did get some crazy Vader action. The with him pulling that ship, that kind of reminds me of the Force Unleashed with Star Killer, where he's like pulling yeah. the ship. And that was that cool. was cool that they played him though. They tricked him out. They they had a feeling that he was gonna or uh, Obi Wan probably thought like he's probably gonna stop one of the ships, so we need to use one as a decoy. And like, dude, like he I ripped that thing. Dude, he ripped off a piece of that ship like that. Darth Vader is strong, man. Yeah, and he was angry, and it, it just goes to show like how powerful he really is. Like that that ship had like five or six thrusters just going full throttle, and he just like stopped it midair and like, nope, come back down. And then he ripped it like you know he's ripping off a piece of toilet paper. Dude, seriously, like he was grabbing a paper airplane out of the sky. Yeah, no, it. it and then I love that, like, there's the other ship in the background that just, like, bounces off. And actually, if you go back into the episode and, like, watch, like, the, you know, the, the ship, uh, there, there is two ships in, the, in that little shipyard. So it's, it's kind of hinted at earlier in the episode. But, dude, the, the fight between him and Riva, where he's just, like, he's, like, stopping her lightsaber and just flipping her around. And, dude, that was, I was on the edge of my seat when I saw that the first time. It was definitely going to have to happen because she had this mission that she had been building up towards and we found out what it was in this episode. So I was like, okay, is she going to throw down with them at some point in the show? And she does. Totally. And she and Vader toys with her, <laughs> like absolutely throws her around, you know, like she has a double bladed lightsaber swinging around and he's just dodging it, you know, like he's just like stepping back like, haha, hoo hoo. Missed me again. It was almost like, I don't want to say drunken master style, but like it was so easy for him to just avoid being hit that it was, it was like sad. For it, it really is considering the fact that like most of the time Vader just seems like very clunky. Right. Yeah. This and is it, like it, the it, yeah. first real, si real time that he's not clunky at all. <laughs> like, I don't know if it's like, I don't know if he's hustling people They're thinking that he's slow, but he is not. He's, he's dodging. It shows why he's feared. It's He's not just Absolutely. strong in the force. Like He can still throw down with the lightsaber. He can throw down. Yeah, for sure. Um, so that was great. Um, and the episode ends with a cliffhanger that, you know, Riva finds that little um, communicator uh, with Bail Organa's message saying, like, um, I ho has, has he found out about the children? If not, or if so, I'm going to head over to Tatooine. And, um, you know, talk to Owen or whatever. Help Owen yeah. out. So that's that's where the episode leaves off. And the following episode, we have uh, Vader and friends uh, chasing down that uh, transport ship. And, you know, Obi-Wan makes the executive decision. Hey, I'm going to peace out because he wants me. He doesn't want any of you guys anyway. And he makes the right choice um, because Vader does, like, divert all his attention to taking obi-wan down and it's interesting because the grand inquisitor doesn't seem to realize like why he wants to take obi-wan down you know he's just like sir it doesn't make any sense to take down just one jedi when there's a whole ship of like traitors over there you know it doesn't mean anything for him no vader is dead set on getting obi-wan and I really like this episode and there's a lot of callbacks and they definitely there's a lot of emotion in this episode. Oh, absolutely. There was there was parts where I was like tearing up, especially the first time watching it. It was all just like fresh and raw to me and you know the fact that 
by the time that Vader catches up with Obi-Wan and they're throwing down, and he, you, you could tell that Obi-Wan still does not want to kill Vader. You know, like, he still loves Anakin like a brother. And it's... it's it's terrible, but like I said, uh, Obi-Wan finally gets his mojo back. He's, he's strong in the Force. He uh, is able to lift up as many rocks as possible. Right. <laughs> it, it was really, really cool because he's doing a lot better than when he was at, during that first fight. But then he does get a bit beaten down. And then Obi-Wan finds like just something worth fighting for. So really, he, it just reignites who he was. And so he just, he comes out and let me tell you, man, when he did that pose, the yeah. Obi-Wan pose, oh, man. and then when they did the the lines from Revenge of the Sith, I will do what I must. Yeah. But they changed it from you will try to, they changed it to then you will die. Yeah. There's a lot of great lines uh, in that entire fight scene. Actually, the fight itself is super, is choreographed well, you could tell. Yeah may not be as good as like say revenge of the sith but it's definitely up there you know in terms of like what they're what they're doing with lightsabers and one thing i noticed is that like if you compare the scenes i mean i didn't do this but i saw others do it if you compare the scenes in like the flashback to like um when obi-wan and anakin are sparring to when they're fighting in that planet it's act, some of the some of the moves that they do are like copies of their fight previously. So it's like Anakin still hasn't learned those lessons. Right. He is so dead set on winning. He's so dead set on winning. And Obi-Wan actually says, like, until you overcome that, you'll always be an apprentice. And that line stuck out to me because I thought about it. It's true. Anakin never graduates you know he goes from master to master you know or like he goes from apprentice to apprentice because he he's uh his master is obi-wan when he's a jedi and then his master is sidious when he's a sith and he never graduates and is ever called a master you know like he's not included in the jedi council as a master he's not it's it's quite sad i feel like and it's it's true like he never gets to that point where he can ever be a master of anyone because he can't master himself that's true like he can even master the inquisitors right yeah i mean obviously he was far better than them but it was a it was a matter of like uh there, there was no respect between them exactly and when obi-wan you know he like i mean he really threw down on vader and he could have easily yeah. killed vader and the effect in this scene I really, really liked was when they were... And I love that they brought back James Earl Jones to do mm. Vader. But yeah. I loved when his helmet was destroyed and his armor was was damaged that the voice transitioned between uh, Hayden and James Earl Jones. Yeah, that was pretty cool how they, how they balanced that. Like, uh, sometimes it would be like more prominently you know james and then other times it'd be more prominently hayden one sound effect that i just that's always grating to me but it's 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 a perfect star wars sound effect when vader's respirator is broken you hear that oh yeah that like gets me every time and i when i when i heard it in this i'm just like oh poor poor anakin he just just can't win and you know he's in agony when he's like struggling to breathe like that um right and there was something that that somebody had brought up 
which is a really cool effect, was that when he was when he was kind of teetering in Anakin mode, you saw the blue lightsaber. But then when he went back into Vader mode, you saw the red. Interesting. Also, if you notice, like you can, if you look at the pupil of his eye, sometimes it's rimmed with like the the red yellow Sith, and other times it's like brown, mm. and it, it switches back and forth depending on like what he's saying. And it's actually re- it's a really fine attention to detail in my in my opinion. Someone brought up the fact that um, in his fight with Ahsoka in Rebels, his right side of his face was was exposed in his mask. But when he fights Obi-Wan, it's his left side of his face. But it isn't until he faces off against Luke that his whole mask is taken off. And that's when Anakin really returns. Mm. And it's just so poetic. I, I love I love all the symmetry between, you know, Star Wars in general. Like, But especially Anakin's story is so well done. And it was so, in that scene when Obi-Wan's, like his heart is is breaking, like kind of all over again, when Vader was like, you didn't kill Anakin, you know, you didn't, like, you didn't fail me. Right. You know, it was Vader. I killed Anakin. I, I wonder if that was, it's interesting. That line is interesting because I wonder if Anakin is, is actually letting Obi-Wan off the hook in that instance, you know, like he can see the pain in Obi-Wan's face obviously is he do you think that he was just saying like do you think he was kind of like letting obi-wan off the hook a little bit or is is he was he trying to say something else i don't know i think so i i just i think that the thing with darth vader is that is that he can be so ruthless but when it comes to these people that he has an emotional tie to he's just so conflicted like he can't he cannot fully commit to killing obi-wan just as the same as that he couldn't fully commit to killing luke yeah and actually you see at the end uh palpatine you know a- approaches him like over you know the hollow and he's like i feel like you're conflicted uh, with your with feelings for your previous master and that may have been that yeah you know when it comes to to just people in general you know you could have a resentment towards somebody but the feeling but the good feelings that you might have established with them don't go all they don't go away all the time you become conflicted and actually the resentment hurts even more because you've had that emotional tie towards somebody so i think that that's what it is with vader and and obi-wan it's just and obi-wan the same obi-wan could not kill him yeah no it's it's really it's a fascinating it's a fascinating dilemma in that episode, and actually, it, it leads into a couple things. Where um, you know, for the longest time, Star Wars fans have been like, "Well, why did Obi Wan lie about how Anakin his how how Luke's father died?" You know, he says that Darth Vader killed his father. That line specifically answers that. You know, the fact that you didn't kill Anakin, I did. Vader killed Anakin, so it's he wasn't lying at that point. And also the fact that um, after. He says, well, my friend is truly dead. And then he starts calling him Darth. Mm. Like you, uh, yeah. like Alec Guinness did. Right, right. Or it, it definitely ties a lot to the original trilogy. And it caps off a lot of stuff that needed to be capped off between the, the prequels and the original. You know what scene I loved? But, well, two scenes. It's, it's the two final scenes where... Or, well, there's three scenes. But specifically the scene with uh, Obi-Wan like going to Alderaan and talking to Leia about like, you know, you get this from your mother and you get this from your father. Dude, that choked me up so much. 
Because he was right. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'd never even thought about that. Oh, yeah. And we hadn't even uh, talked about the fact that uh, Riva came to Tatooine. So she had a, like a moral dilemma where she wanted to uh, take away Anakin's son like he did to the younglings. And it, you know, backfired because she couldn't do it. She couldn't be like him, which it was a, a huge character moment and ultimately was a pretty redeeming moment for her. Amperu and Uncle Owen, you know, held the fort down. They they were they were kicking butt for a little bit. I know, right? Why why couldn't they take out the the stormtroopers that came through? You know, maybe they're just too old at that point. Yeah. And Obi Wan kind of tells her, you know, that by her doing what she did, she she didn't she didn't become him. You know. Yeah. So what else we have? We have his official meeting of Luke Skywalker. Which was nice, you know, like, I love the fact that Owen kind of, like, gave in and was just like, hey, you want to meet the kid? Yeah. And it was just a nice, like, hello there, you know, kind of in, like, the Alec Guinness voice. So that was nice. Which is actually cool that they did that because that's how he's introduced in A New Hope. Yeah. No, it's true. It's... Hello there. (laughs) And it it was a callback to... Everybody wanted him to say it. Let's be real. Yeah. They wanted him to do the pose and they wanted him to do the hello there and they gave it to us. Yes. So those two things, especially the hello there, is like his biggest prequel meme. Uh, So it's good to have that in there. Uh, But we can't can't end this without talking about finally seeing Qui-Gon at the end. I love Liam Neeson. Like, I, I loved his character as Qui-Gon. And it was great to see him as Qui-Gon again. So this was billed as a limited series. Do you think there's room for more? I think that they started to... They're starting to peel that away. I don't think it's called a limited series anymore. Mm, and I think they called it a season finale, not a series finale. Fascinating. Okay. So, All right. so hopefully we might get a little bit more in the future. Right. And there's word, you know, there's whisperings and rumors of a second season, but we'll see, you know, we'll see. Yeah. Uh, if, if we don't get it, I'm happy, you know, not that I'm happy that we don't get it. I'm just saying I'm happy with what we got. Exactly. Yeah. I, I think that it did a great job with what we had gotten. Would I complain for more? No, I, I would love to see more, but it would need to be done right and it would need to we would need a reason for it to exist you know absolutely all right so let's wrap this up because we've been at this for over 10 minutes or for over two hours now guys thank you so much for listening to us here at project ecology for our 47th episode uh we're getting close to 50 episodes but uh we we still love listening and uh listening to you know your reviews of our podcast so please go to wherever you listen to your podcasts and give us a review nice five-star review tell us what you like what you dislike what you want to see more of or hear more of rather uh and we'd love to you know interact with you a little bit in that sense but you can also visit us on social media at pgeekology on twitter and project geekology on instagram yes give us a five-star review for more five-star content as always (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah it's it's always it's always five-star content from us that's that's the rule and it's and it's always a pleasure to see your input we love reading comments and we love reading interactions from from you all because sometimes sometimes you guys have insight that we might have not have thought of and so continuing that conversation really does it does well for what we're trying to do here which is 
talk about things that we like and to create a conversation around it. Yeah, ultimately that's what it is. But again, thank you guys so much for uh, joining us. Uh, we hope you have a wonderful rest of your day and we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye guys. Bye.